This is part two of a two-part podcast. I'm Edward Norton. No, not that one, the other one, and I love pies. No, not that kind, the other kind. Hermes is an old-school forum packed full of friendly people who occasionally give out a slice of pie. You'll never forget your first slice of pie. It made me feel so good. I had to buy a whole pie so I could share the love. Oh, and there's apples too. Sign up at permies.com to join in the world of homesteading and permaculture, and you too might get a slice of pie. I want to move on to the next piece because we kind of said we're going to do a few quick things, and then we're going to get into the big black book, like like sentence by sentence. Um, and and it's like okay, so I've got a quick thing about um, uh, a thing where I ask people like, what should be my next Kickstarter? And I think there was an interesting thing that came out of that. And then when, and then you then said a fascinating and critically important thing about nonprofit on the side. And, and it's like, there's like 10 different things about what you said that I think are super important, but I need to set it up with this next piece. And that is, uh, so I, so basically I put out this poor man's poll and I said, what should be my next Kickstarter? And I listed like 10 different possible options. And people voted, and, and there's one that's way out in front, and I'm looking into trying to see if I can make it happen. I don't think I can, but I'm going to try. And uh, and there's a couple of others that I'm already working on, and and uh, it was it was fascinating. Get the, the feedback was awesome. And then this morning I woke up, and somebody had written while I was sleeping, and they had suggested, can you do something to be like, take the land that you have, where the soil is not like the furthest thing from garden soil. It's dirt. It's conifer dirt. So conifers have been growing there and doing what conifers do. And now you've got like lots of subsoil, but you don't have soil. And so now grow a garden. I want to, I want to see that movie. That's the movie I want. That's the Kickstarter I want you to do. Do a Kickstarter where you're going to make a movie that's going to show going from zero. Well, it probably won't be zero. Going from, like, if you take an acre and you scoured the acre, you might be able to scrounge up a 1,000 calories. If you thoroughly scrounged it for a full year, maybe even more through foraging. Um, take... But instead, uh, you know, take a quarter, have a quarter acre garden and, and pop out a million calories the first year or even a full acre and pop out a million calories the first year through acts of gardening. Um, something like that. He says, that's what I want your next picture to be. That's what I, and, and so I love this idea. In fact, I want to take it even farther. I want, to have like five full-time expert gardeners and I want them to each manage two plots. One that's a bit of control where it's like it'll be a flat garden, everything's growing in rows, but you irrigate the fuck out of it, which I think is how most people do it. And it's like then have another plot that's about the same size only it's like, let's do all of our permaculture stuff. And it's like each of these five gardeners has different stuff that they're doing. 
And so one of them is going to be very Hugo culture intensive. Uh, one of them is going to be um, possibly super duper into mulches. One of them might be like the uh, the Garden of Eden guy, you know, um, back to Eden. That's it. Back to Eden, where it's the wood chips, like 8, 12 inches thick. Um, and uh, uh, one person might be a little bit more in forage gardening. Like, I'm going to take the land that's already here, and I'm going to nudge it. I'm going to do things to nudge it. And uh, and then hopefully in their superior, in their, what they believe to be much better arrangement, that they'll end up doing less irrigation. But um, they'll do things that permies would do, whereas in the first plot, it's going to be strictly things that organic gardeners would do. And so that would be a total of 10 plots. And that, I think, would make a really magnificent move. And I'm, I know, Alan, I know you agree with that. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, if you were to document it properly, if, I mean, really you're getting to the point where you're calling it Wheaton Labs, you need to be doing real science at that point in time, right? So you, you really need to have, you know, the control group and, and document everything and come up with metrics that are, you're going to use to evaluate things and, and processes for documenting rigorously and so forth and, and put out a, a comprehensive report at the end of the, of, of the, you know, the process as to results and lessons learned. One of the things that was suggested was to do, um, uh, soil tests. And so I kind of feel like, yeah, that could be like, four different things, but we could do all four things and uh, for all of these before and after and see how we're doing. Um, but, all right, then it kind of gets into like, uh, all right, if we're going to do this as a Kickstarter, we're kind of back in that whole space of like the thing we did at the greenhouse where we get the coin, we go and we do the experiment, and um, but it could take a year or two until it's all done. And and it's kind of like, in the meantime, it's an obligation because mm-hmm. we got the money up front. And so we're, we're taking on the other, and the obligation is poison. And so I, I think it's going to, you're going to see people get burned out because they're doing it, not because it will be cool, but because there's an obligation to it. And it's like, that is, that is hard. Um, the other thing is, is that you really, uh, should not do more than one Kickstarter at a time. In other words, you don't start a new Kickstarter until you've fulfilled the previous Kickstarter. So it's like if it's going to take a couple of years to do this. Now, granted, it could be like, oh, it's one gardening season. We do the Kickstarter in January, and then we get the gardens going in um, uh, March, and then uh, we get to look at the results in October, then, you know, that's not even taking up one year. And so it's like it should be okay. But the problem is, is that it's kind of like, okay, if we're going to take this on and if we're going to do it, how many boots do we have in the boot camp? Who's, who's doing this? Mm-hmm. Who, do we, who do we have? And, and it's like really um, everything, everything is tied to how many boots are there in the boot camp. And I kind of feel like if we had 20 boots in the boot camp, we could take on a project like that. 
And now the next thing, of course, with that particular project is, is my first thought is, I think that the results after three years would be far more interesting than the results after one year. But the stuff at three years is what I want to know about more than the stuff after one year. I mean, yeah. one year is interesting and everything, but three years. And then when I mentioned this to you, you said. I said five years. Five. I even think like seven might be good. Yeah, the longer the better because, you know, it's one of those things that when you start to create an annual cropping system like this, it takes time to create the soil. It takes time to create the surrounding environment for the predator, pest predator cycles to go through for you to actually start to build the fertility to the point where the plants are expressing their full phytochemical uh, potential, their full photosynthetic efficiency to getting secondary metabolites to happen. And all of a sudden, pest dynamics change, soil microbiology dynamics change. All of this happens, and you see you see the beginning of the trajectory in the first year, but you really don't see it unfold until you've been at it for a few years. And so the long-term outcomes of this experiment won't be truly visible for a few years. I mean, yeah, it's really interesting information. How can you start from standing zero and produce something in the first year? But um, that's just part of the story to me. We want to really know what is the long-term trajectory. And the only folks, I mean, there's very few people who've been doing that in a rigorous scientific way. You got Rodale Labs, but they've been, you know, they've been, Rodale has been doing conventional versus organic agriculture. And what you're talking about is, you know, conventional organic versus much more advanced uh, polycultured uh, annual crop production in the context of a larger perennial matrix. I, yeah. So I, I think that uh, one possible thing we do is we do a Kickstarter that's going to be like, okay, we're going to do this for, you know, one season. And then the movie is about, it's going to be about, here's what these five people did on, on 10 different plots for, for one growing season in Montana, starting with dirt. And, and how did they do? What did they come up with? What were the, what were the results? And then, uh, two years later, we could do another Kickstarter for making a movie that's going to be kind of the exact same thing, but year three. And then, um, we could do year five and then year seven as well. Um, so those are, I think that's a, a possible idea. Yeah. Uh, and I think about at that point in time in the conversation, I brought up this uh, concept of nonprofit for a very particular reason. I mean, Kickstarter is a really... Put that on hold for just a second. It's going to make one observation about Kickstarters. And Go can, ahead. Do it. Which was this. Kickstarters are a good fit for producing a concrete output like a movie or a book. Um, Kickstarters to fund science is a little trickier. You know, it's like, hey, we have this really cool science thing that we want to science to death. Uh, give us the monies to go off and science this thing, right? Yeah. you got to couch it in the terms of we want to science this thing and then produce this 
you know, this artifact at the end of the science process. I I kind of like the idea of um, of something like, could we do something where we could say we want to hire, like we're going to do a Kickstarter and we're going to hire five professional gardeners and um, and something like for each month that they're here, the gardener will receive. I don't know, uh, 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 500 bucks, uh, you know, 500 bucks a month kind of a thing. And then when they get to the end of the season, they get like 10 grand. So if, if they skip out in the middle for whatever reason, oh, uh, I gotta go home because, you know, whatever, then it's like, that's cool. Cause then the next thing is, is that, Anybody in the boot camp can pick up where they left off and claim that ten grand at the end or something like that, mm-hmm. and then have like a twenty grand, twenty grand bonus to whoever raised the most the most calories on one of their plots, you know, something like that. I I think that the so then it's possible that one of them is going to walk away with the five hundred bucks a month plus um, uh, thirty grand, something like that. I think that would be an exciting, exciting Kickstarter. You know, of course, we would have to set the goal rate to be pretty high, yeah. <laughs> you know, in order to meet that kind of thing. And then right. we would have to be, like, hiring those people, which could in itself be quite the challenge. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, the The next thing is, is that, okay, we're talking about how, how this could possibly work as a Kickstarter. And I and I do kind of feel like one of the great things about Kickstarter is is that currently Kickstarter is our bread and butter. This is this is all of our income. It's either uh, all of our income right now is from uh, either Kickstarter or some residual income from past Kickstarters. All of our events for the last several years have run in the red, and so it's kind of like I think the primary function for having events here is that knowledge accumulates here as we bring the experts from uh, off-site onto our property for a while, and then the knowledge accumulates within the boot camp. And that's probably the greatest perk of, of having events here. Okay. One of the things is, is like, okay, uh, growing a lemon tree outdoors in Montana is one of the Kickstarters I would like to do. But that one is definitely a three-year-long project. At least, if not seven years. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like what we have to do is do it speculatively. So we would need to start the process and get the video and, and start tracking all of the stuff and trying the different things and measuring different stuff. And then, of course, get the lemon tree started or several lemon trees started. And, uh, you know, do what needs to be done. Do the work that needs to be done to keep that tree alive through multiple winters. Because it's not enough to just survive one winter. you got to survive them all. And so, uh, and we would need to gather data in order to ensure that that's going to happen. But, but it's kind of like, uh, so I think we need to kind of get, see if we can get three potential Kickstarter projects kind of in the hopper. 
But again, I think that in order to be able to do that, in order to take on speculative Kickstarter projects, we need more boots. Um, yep. There's really no other way about that. Um, so, yeah, and- I mean, the, the, the thing to me is like on the Lemon Tree project, it's almost like what you need is you need the picture of the first lemon that you harvested from that tree. And the Kickstarter promo is we grew this lemon outdoors in Montana. We want to do a documentary on how we did that. Right. Yeah. In other words, have the do the Kickstarter to actually get the funds to finish pulling it all together to produce the documentary and to release it. But then you're like, okay, well, how do we fund all of the work to get to that point? And that's, I guess, part of the whole thing that science sometimes does not have a schedule that's convenient for Kickstarter. Uh, True. All true. All true. And we need to kind of get to the point where we're in better shape for that. And it really boils because, like, part of it is, is, like, we start a project, and then the boot camp grows and evolves, and there are some people that have been here for many years, and there's some people that are, like, say they're going to be here for many years, but then what they mean by that is um, uh, a few weeks, maybe. And then, like, you know, um, easily distracted by shiny objects. We recently did a woof week, and uh, so we had three woofers that we brought here, and um, we got them here, and then um, we got them here on Sunday, and on Monday morning, we were down to one. And and it's kind of like, well, it turns out one of them actually slept in and so sh- showed up later in the day, um, but the other one drove off in the middle of the night. And it's, and it's like, uh, don't know what happened there. But, I, okay, the, the key is, is that, if we've got like 20 people in the boot camp and there's going to be people coming and going for whatever their reasons are, then it's like, but we still have enough residual boots that can keep projects going. And with the, the, even the ones that are going to be here for only a month or two, then they're at least moving our projects forward and we can keep, we can improve our overall forward velocity. So not only get our stuff done, but then we can take on risks. We can take on, um, uh, uh, more speculative Kickstarters. And we could even, you know, so we can not only do speculative Kickstarters before the Kickstarter started, but we can also take on a Kickstarter and be like, yeah, we can get that all done in five months, kind of a thing. As opposed to right now, where it's kind of like, uh, well, we've got five boots in the boot camp right now. And it's kind of like, well, um, how much stuff can we take on at once? And it's like, uh, it's it's not that our forward velocity isn't as strong as it was last spring when we had 17. So, you know, what we need is to get that good solid 20. And when we have an opening and we put it out there to the waiting list that we fill the open right now, most of the people on the waiting list are waiting. <laughs> I don't know what they're waiting for, but whatever it is, it hasn't happened yet. I, it seems like a lot of people are like, they're waiting to graduate college or they're waiting to um, uh, get to this certain point in their life. And they're waiting. They're thinking that they'll be by in a year or two. And it's like, okay. And they just want to know that when the time comes that they'll, they're basically at the top of the list. And in a way right now, everybody's at the top of the list because we put a thing out saying, Hey, we're ready for two more. And, and we get none. And so, uh Oh, Maybe some of them are waiting for it not to be cold in Montana. 
<laughs> there might be that. Although <laughs> I I kind of feel like um there's something. I mean, uh, the, the the new Dune movie came out. And it's art. It's just oh, it's just such art. But um, I kind of feel like when you read the book, um, and maybe it's only, I'm only thinking this because I read that book many times. But when you read the book, then um, the the there's this element of like uh, being a fremen, where you know if you are stupid and you go out in the desert, you die. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like you gotta wear the still suit correctly, and you got to behave correctly. And if you are not going to develop a symbiotic relationship with this nature, then uh, 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 it's kind of like there's a theory about how you're going about whether or not you're going to reproduce. Yep. Right. So it's kind of like, um, uh, all right. So you must be this smart to ride this ride. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing goes for the cold in Montana. When winter comes around. It's actually not that cold. And, and what you need to do is not that hard. But I do think that it's like, you know what? You, you need to, to make it, uh, make a, you have to luxuriant yourself, your layers. You have to be smart and you have to have good layers. Mm-hmm. And I keep seeing people where they've got a crappy coat. They've got crappy gloves. They've got crappy boots, and and they're cold. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> you 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 didn't pass the test. <laughs> you were tested, and you failed. Mm-hmm. And so you're uncomfortable all day. No wonder you want to leave. And and I kind of feel like, yeah, you you must you must be this smart to ride this ride. You can be absolutely comfortable outside all day long. But you've got to be smart about it. And it's not even all day long. Everybody comes inside for lunch. And so for four hours, for a four-hour stint in the morning, the colder part of the day, you know, how to be perfectly comfortable. And it's like it's yeah. not. There's a, there's a saying at the Wilderness Awareness School that says, there's no such thing as bad weather or only the wrong clothing. There. I think that works beautifully. That works beautifully. And so – uh, when we start talking about the cold and stuff like that, I, I kind of feel like, yeah, that's yet another filter. I mean, you've got on here, uh, visionary and industrious and, uh, um, it's, it's, it's possible that there's another, um, angle. There's, there's a Z axis in here perhaps for like intellect. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I kind of feel like this, it turns out the cold in itself turns out to be a bit of a weeding tool. It's like, okay, yeah, it turns out you're not a, you are not smart enough to be here. And so you need to go. Um, I've seen some very smart people that simply have not been exposed to an environment before and have no frame of reference. And therefore they do dumb things. But um, so yeah, there's, there's smart, but also there's experience. To get more boots, I think the number one thing that we need is more funds in the BRK. Um, we've had some great boots here, and the BRK has been a total lifesaver for them. And they are so they'll stay they'll stay very long term, 
because the BRK provides enough funds uh, for them to pay, you know, cell phone bill or uh, you know, car insurance because they decide to keep their car or or whatever. It gives them it gives them a little coin on the side for the little luxuries in life and for winter gear. And yep. so basically, the idea is is that people say they'll put up fifty bucks or something in the BRK, and they just reply to the thread saying, "I hereby." pledge 50 bucks and yeah. so um paul for for those and there's a lot of people who are long-term pod people that will know exactly what a brk is but for anybody who's listening to this that might be thinking about being a boot that doesn't know what it is can you give like a one sentence definition of what a brk is people who post a hundred posts to a they, they start a thread it's like for example des has a thread that's like des's boot camp brk thread and then each day Des posts like three to eight pictures of boot life. And so that, that's a post. And so then when he gets to a hundred posts, he harvests the BRK funds. And so I think that when it's going really good, he has harvested more than 2000 bucks. And when it is going really slow, he's harvested like 800 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then in order for people to put coin in, all they got to do is go to the, the BRK thread and reply and say, I pledge 50 bucks. And, um, and so then there's, I don't know, I think there's like 20 people in the BRK. Um, and some, one person has pledged $10,000 for when a boot hits post number 700. Wow. And Des is like coming up on that. So wow. yeah, 10 grand. And, so, and has also an invitation for the folks that might be listening who are thinking, well, I'm not in a place to go do a boot thing, but I would like to see Ford Velocity. They could go there and sponsor somebody, you know, sponsor the BRK, right? True. And I think that the, the pictures that the boots are posting every day are I mean, they're helpful to me to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, at the same time, I think that they're helping people to live vicariously through the boots with all the projects that are going on here. Um, and when we have more boots, we knock out more projects per year, and so the pictures become more interesting. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the, the big thing is, is that um, when the BRK is over $2,000, then people are kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, all right, all right. But when it drops down to 800 bucks, we have people that harvested the BRK in the past, and they've decided to move on, usually for money, because it's like they're trying to pay for shit. And it's like, you know, they, they, they saved up a bunch, they came here, they did it for as long as they could, and then it was time to go out into the bigger world and get more money. The BRK didn't pay enough. And so... um I think it would, I, we got to get more funds to the BRK. And, um, I'm out of ideas on how to direct people to it. So, but I, I think that if we had more so to, to do these things, I think that having, having more boots is the key. And the number one thing is the BRK. There's also this thing about I pay the boots like a hundred dollars to two hundred dollars to make a video that I can put into my YouTube channel. And, um, They've done that a little bit here and there. So um, 
I, I kind of like the idea. If, if I could get more coin to my video Patreon, I think I might be able to up that. Because currently what I get on average, like if I put out um, 15 videos in a month, I think I average about 40 bucks a video. And I'm paying them a minimum of 100 bucks a video. So I'm going into the hole offering this program. But maybe if I got more coin into the video Patreon, I could offer I could put more coin out there. And maybe we'll end up getting more boots coming in to harvest that video coin. And if that happens, then I kind of feel like um, we would get uh, more more boots here that are into making videos and we can get more video stuff done, whether it's uh, YouTube videos or it's uh, a further future Kickstarters. So I, I kind of feel like if we can get – that's that's an awesome path right there. Plus it puts coin in their pockets to, to get bought. Hi, this is Mark. Sometimes talking to a friend or family member about permaculture can be met with a blank stare if it's all new to them. A great way to explain some of it can be over a card game using permaculture playing cards, which each have interesting facts with quality illustrations and descriptions. A wide range of people, places, and things, all related to permaculture, can be found on the permaculture playing cards at richsoil.com forward slash cards. Finally... Boots Love. There's a thread called Boots Love, and um, I know that the current Boots feel it's inappropriate to ask for stuff on Boots Love. So they've been not asking for stuff. And we've had a couple of people that love to support Boots Love saying, what do you guys want? And the Boots have been shy about saying anything. But I know they want stuff. They talk about stuff. Although I kind of think that at this point in time, it would be cool to get an electric bicycle or two. And that would really help with boots moving back and forth between base camp and the lab. And, um, and you know, something that's a little bit more in our values than sometimes. I mean, they can walk, and they've done it. A lot of the boots have done this. They've walked it. And it's like it takes 45 minutes to walk. But an electric bicycle goes just as fast as a petroleum-based car. A petroleum-based vehicle. They really love the idea of getting away from petroleum. Um <laughs> I've got my money in to get a one of those cyber trucks from Elon Musk, but uh, apparently that's going to be a few years till I see it. <laughs> um, but uh, in the meantime, um, yeah, I think I think an electric bicycle would be nice. Okay, now there I've said the thing I wanted to say: Kickstarters and the, to be bold with Kickstarters and to do science with Kickstarters and to do more experiments and things like that. Bottom line is, for just everything, we need more boots in the boot camp. And I am scrambling to try and solve this and get more boots here. Um, uh, I think we recorded something in the boots recently. We talked about the half-assed holidays. Um, we're trying to come up with – I think that helps. But really, I think the number one thing is the BRK. Uh, possibly more coined to the video Patreon. I think we could try. I mean, we you would think that we could take the money from the Kickstarters and somehow put more into the boot camp. But currently, you know, that's what we're using to keep the boot camp, you know, alive, to buy the the food um, and uh, materials for projects and uh, you know, pay for all the little things we need to pay for. 
keeping our vehicles operational and all this other stuff, subsidizing the events. This is, this is what our Kickstarter funds do now. I mean, um, I think we're doing pretty amazing considering like the greenhouse Kickstarter brought in like what 97,000 and Kickstarter keeps 10% of that right off the top. Yep. I mean, for it to be a full year of what we get by on, I think we're doing really, really good on that. But, you know, if if we had a Kickstarter that brought in a million dollars, oh, yeah, baby, we would do so much better. Um, and and then I think we could do things to attract the boots. But, um, all right. Now, I mentioned this to you just before we started recording this podcast, and then you pointed out the obvious thing. Which was? Which was that, you know, there is a, a, a lot of money out there right now in research for sustainable agriculture, um, things of that nature. There's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But it is structured where they want to give it to um, nonprofit uh, organizations uh, as one of, you know, universities, nonprofits, and so on and so forth. And, um, I mean, I know several people who've gone off and set things up like that and have gotten hundreds of thousands of dollars in grant money, uh, and it is pure grant money, not loans, um, to be able to do certain kinds of research. And um, so I ask what the consideration was for possibly setting up a nonprofit that would not own any of the property, but what we would, way it would be set up would be, um, to be able to uh, fund and run the science side of certain things um, and that Wheaton Labs would donate access to the land uh, and other resources to the nonprofit um, to allow it to, to do some of that science. And, of course, some of that science could include um, you know, uh, the, the pay for people to, to do it, the, the pay for certain resources and so on and so forth. And, um, that that might open up the possibility also for people to donate, um, in a, in a tax deductible form to, um, uh, the science and for other like foundations and so forth to make certain donations to, uh, further certain bits of science and, research that you were interested in doing. All true. That is, that is, that is super true with true sauce. Yeah. And, uh, I, I agree with that a hundred percent at the same time. And, and of course the format that you're suggesting is what I believe is the correct format. A lot of, a lot of people make the mistake of like, uh, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to set up a nonprofit and the nonprofit's going to buy the land and buy the equipment and, you know, do all these things only to discover that now that's um, more of a hindrance than a help. Mm-hmm. So the right way to do it is that, you know, the ownership of the land and, and um, all that other stuff and all the equipment is private. And then the nonprofit is a non-corporeal entity. Um, it basically it, it, it doesn't have land. It doesn't have possessions. It has right. it has money. That's that's going to be the way that it's set up correctly. Yeah, um, and in some cases, so for some people, it might also make sense that the land is held by a land trust or other thing. But what you end up doing is you always separate out 
the ownership of the the land from the from the, the nonprofit for a variety of reasons. I won't get into right now. Right. I mean, that's you know now we're starting to get into the space that's going to fill a whole bunch of books. Yeah. Um, so so stepping away from that, the thing is, the key is setting it up that way is the correct way. And yes, I'll bet that an industrious person managing a nonprofit like we're talking about could probably bring in a couple of million dollars a year. And more than half of that would probably go to our projects. And then we could be doing things like, all right, we're going to hire five full-time gardeners and we're going to pay them this much per month with a $10,000 bonus for the end of the season and possibly an additional $20,000 bonus in these conditions, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, it's like now we're, we've got, you know, all of the, we've, we've got more coin. But the thing is, is that, so somebody would have to do all that work, and a lot of work it is. Now, a lot of people, they're, the, the, the thing that pops out of their pie hole immediately Hey, Paul, you should do that. With their idea being is that somehow there's 17 of me, and then I can have one of my 17 of me do that. But it's like without any thought towards I would do that instead of doing the things that I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Because it's like doing that is not just a full-time job it's probably going to be a full-time job for at least a couple of people. Yeah, what you'd end up, you know, I mean, it, it, there, this is, the, the dynamics of this are very well understood in, in the nonprofit industry. You need, you end up with what's called a director of development in your nonprofit, mm-hmm. and his or her job is to do the things you're talking about, which is uh, help build the relationships, help build, um, help go after grants, help go after um, donations and so forth. It's a full-time job. Um, and uh, you would probably, and, and but the per- person gets a full-time compensation for that. And um, it's not unusual to, uh, for you basically to go for something like a five to one, which is that they raise $5 for every $1 of their salary. In other words, uh, you raise 100% of what's raised, 20% of that goes to their salary, and the other 80% is available for other uses in the nonprofit. And this is how most nonprofits actually sustain themselves in terms of being able to generate cash flow. Um, so it does provide a full-time, um, a, a full-time salary, and it gets the directors that are doing the actual on-the-ground work out of that job space because like for you Paul that's not I mean A you would hate that and B it's not the best use of your time even if you could bring yourself to do it. And there we stumble onto the next part which is I cannot bring myself to do it. Right. Uh it's an oil and water thing. I I just it's like the moment I start to like a five oh one C three I have a I struggle to get to the three. You know, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it's like uh, um, I'm, I'm going to be focusing on many on a hundred other things before doing that. And uh, other people, there, it's like for them, it's as easy as breathing. And um, 
so yeah, I I love the idea of having that set up and it's it's functioning and it's happening. And um, for a while there, like eight years ago, it sounded like it might happen, but it never happened. And uh, and it's kind of like so I'm still open to the idea of it happening. Hell, maybe there'll end up being two or three different nonprofits that you know fund different projects here, fund different experiments here, things of that nature. Um, but it's kind of like I just can't seem to bring myself. You know, so that you you bring up basically something where you got two possibilities. One is to create a new nonprofit which is specifically organized with a charter around um, running some of the science and experiments and other things at Wheaton Labs. The other is to partner with existing nonprofits uh, who have a compatible mission, um, who wants to see certain research done, who basically can partner with Wheaton Labs in order to make it happen, right? They can provide some of the infrastructure and funding and so forth and uh, and provide that some resources monetarily to Wheaton Labs, and Wheaton Labs can do the actual on-the-ground work. So both of those are possible options. So you would end up with a memorandum of understanding between Wheaton Labs and another, you know, non-profit, a nonprofit in order to do some of those things. So both of those are possible. Um, if you wanted an, a, call it a native nonprofit, then you would obviously have to have a team of people um, who would be willing to set that up and get it moving. And um, once it started to get some funding going, it can become self-propagating. I'm um, I'm open to either of these paths, but I, I the, the important part is is that I'm I'm not going to do it, and and so this has limited us dramatically. I mean, the next side of it is is that it would be great if we could. Um, I, I mean, I I feel like my book, for example. I feel like I'm, I am, um, frustrated that my book isn't in a thousand times more brains than it has already been in. I wish to infect more brains. And, um, and it's like that's, but that's not a non-profit thing. That's more like another thing that needs to be solved somehow. And I don't know how to solve it. And I don't have that's, what it takes yeah, to solve it. That is, that is a, you know, public relations marketing sort of, Problem, and that's a whole nother, again, it's a whole nother, you know, specialty and so forth. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, it sounds like is if, if, um, the a magic Wheaton Labs nonprofit is going to happen, we need another somewhat visionary, highly industrious set of people who say, Hey, let's, um, let's, uh, pull that together and make something happen. Most likely for that. And my, my experience is, um, retired, um, folks who have the experience and have realized that they are retired and now just want to have something to do. They want to have something fun to do. And, um, they're like, Hey, I can set up a nonprofit and get it moving in my sleep because I've done X many of them through my career. And, um, so, hey, let's, uh, let's jump in and, and make it happen, right? And, 
if you can find somebody like that uh, or several people like that who are just like, well, let's uh, let's see what we can do, and we can go and track down a, a, a director of development. Um, and I have a, a couple ways of helping with that process, by the way. Um, then um, you know you can get something set up, and that might become a long-term way of helping to get the funds flow in so that you, Paul, can concentrate on what you want to concentrate on. I I think it sounds lovely. The, the key is is that um, more than just set it up is going to be um, – because I think setting it up is like, you know, half a percent of the work. Um, but But taking it – taking it into something that is of – value, something that, that is actually functioning in the way it's designed to function. So getting it there is going to be uh, 99.5% of it. Um, getting it, getting, getting it to the point that it's actually funding projects. So, um, all right. The key is, yes, you are correct. And um, uh, in that this parallel nonprofit, it would probably bring in five times more. It gives five times more operating capital than what the Kickstarter is It is true. Yeah. I, I think if you are running on a Kickstarter cycle of somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred grand, which is about what you've been doing, yeah. and you could get something going where you had a single director of development going on and so forth, then you should be able to multiply your practical on the ground, um, uh, you know, ability to fund by at least a factor of six to eight. Yeah. I, I agree with your analysis. I agree with your analysis. Um, and, and, you know, and it would be exciting if the Kickstarters brought in five times more. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they bring in what they bring. Yeah. Well, Kickstarters are what they are. It's, it's hard. It's hard to do a half a million dollar Kickstarter. Right, right. It's. I'm going to tell you, it's hard to do a hundred thousand dollars Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, uh, you know, but you got to do a hundred thousand dollars Kickstarter before you can do a million dollar Kickstarter, and and it's like I keep hoping that the next Kickstarter will be a million dollar Kickstarter. But you know, and, and at the same time, I'm relieved that it brought in you know ten thousand dollars. <laughs> it's like, yay! <laughs> we, oh, this idea doesn't suck. <laughs> Well, I mean, the thing that really hits me is just like uh, there is a a lady here in my area who put in for, I've heard, I don't remember what the, who was doing the grant. It was just a straight up grant. And some organization gave her a $125,000 grant to do a high tunnel on her own personal property. And she did. And she never really did that much with it. I mean, I would just kind of looked at it and was like, okay. But yeah, somebody was like, oh, you're doing sustainable agriculture. Okay. Here's $125,000 for a high tunnel and threw it at her, you know, and so just as a, her as a private individual doing that. So, um, it is really interesting right now that there is a lot of, uh, money flying around in certain places for uh, agricultural grants and so forth. So it's like, yeah, how do you tap into that? If, if money stream and uh, revenue is a, a, a huge constraining factor at the moment in forward velocity, 
then how do you tap into that, I think, is a high leverage question. And and I think and now I'm going to guess that the woman that got that money was not a nonprofit. No, no. She's a private individual. So yeah. I agree that um, uh, a person that's into that kind of stuff, it does seem like there's a lot of money there. And it's also there's a lot of companies. There's probably a lot of people that are listening to this podcast right now that manage companies where it's kind of like if I don't clear out 20 grand at the end of this year, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to have to pay taxes on that. And I, uh, I would, you know, for tax reasons, I would love to put it into a nonprofit for a bunch of different reasons. Yeah. So it's like, which one should I get? Which one should I give it to? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And I imagine that they'd far prefer to give it to a, um, a nonprofit that basically acts as a facade for our projects. And, uh, you know, but we don't have that and it would have to be a nonprofit in order for them to get the, the tax benefit that they need. I mean, yes. and a lot of times it's like not only the tax benefit, but the ability to say that, you know, Hey, our organization gave this much to nonprofit organizations this year. So, so I, I think there's a great clarification here and maybe we should make one is that there are certain monies available. If you stand up and say, I am farmer Paul. I am a farmer, support me. And then there, you know, is certain money available to support you as a farmer. That is, there's, there's government subsidies available for farmers and there are other kinds of subsidies available at different levels for farmers. So there's some monies that might be able to come if you just declared yourself to be a farmer, so to speak. Then of course there is Nonprofit, which uh, there's a lot of research money and donations that want to land in a nonprofit. Um, the 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 grants want to land there because they feel like nonprofits are set up so that there's some accountability to where their money is going. They're not just giving, they're just not throwing their money down a hole, right? They want to see a nonprofit that has proper governance that they feel like if they put their money there, something's going to happen with it. And then there's private individuals and foundations that want to uh, to donate. And they a lot of foundations are like, we're going to donate to nonprofits. They're doing things. There's private individuals that are like, we want to donate, and we get tax advantage for donating to a nonprofit. So that's where the nonprofit side comes in handy. I think that there's also going to be a bunch of money up there for, like, people that are doing something that's regenerative, sustainable. Um, I mean, hell, for the rocket mass heater stuff alone, there could be yes. money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and for that side, you're going to probably be more on the nonprofit getting, get, being able to get funds for that. Right. Right. So, yeah, there's going to be stuff that's going to be like uh, uh, gardening slash food production systems or home gardening slash food production systems. <clears throat> that are for profit, but then of course you've got to actually go get those grants. Um, but then there's, and then on the world nonprofit, then there's a bunch of stuff, but nonprofit in the world of uh, regenerative, sustainable, et cetera. And another thing is, is that I kind of feel like I've, I've looked into some of the organizations that are nonprofits and it's like, they've got an operating capital of $15 million a year. And it's like, well, what do they do? I think, I think we're doing 10 times more than they're doing. 
and and it's like, but we don't have that operating capital. We're we're like operating at like something around one or two percent of their operating capital, yep. and yet we're accomplishing ten times more. I I kind of mm-hmm. feel a little bit like, yeah. So if we had if we had a, I don't know, I, I call it a finance person or something like that, but but really, really the smartest thing of all is to have a nonprofit which will harvest the coin that is um, uh, for all the profit and nonprofit projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it kind of gets into a few more doors here and there for other things as well. So, um, uh, yes, all that is true. Now I have a conundrum. Um, we had an agreement to record these podcasts and stay within a certain time frame. Yep. And we have talked about all the, we said, let's just quickly touch on these things and then we're going to go into the book review. And, uh, we are now past the time that is our time frame and yes. we haven't even touched the book yet. Right. And so I think we're going to have to reschedule to put some more time into talking about the book. And, and then, um, this, preliminary thing is going to have to be a standalone podcast of sorts. Although I think I feel good about it. The content uh, of this, I feel like there's a lot of really excellent content in this particular podcast. Yes, so I agree. Stop it right about here. I agree. I agree. I, I think of course we can't promote it as a big black book podcast, but I think that there, the content is, is important. And I think that bringing it up to the podcast audience um, for anybody who might be listening to the podcast and is still with us at this point in time, um, I, I think the thing to do would be uh, jump onto the podcast thread at Hermes and put your thoughts in about this whole idea of how, you know, the stuff we talked about, the nonprofits and, you know, these sorts of things. Um, it'd be interesting to see what, um uh, you know, what, what comes out of that. And if there's people sort of sitting around like, Oh, wait, I know how to do that part, you know, and maybe they're, they're retired or, you know, and they're like, Hey, I got a little extra time. Let's have that conversation, you know? So you, you never know until we kind of throw it out there and just see who raises their hand. Okay. All right. I like that. I like getting some feedback on all of these things. Um, and for the few people, there's this thing that's the, um, uh, the place where you can vote on what we, what the next fixer might be. That's called the, it's inside that forum. I believe it's called the secret inner circle. It's the forum that people get access to when they support a Kickstarter for $5 or more. And so there's a lot of people in that forum. Uh, but you know, um, I'd appreciate if people, if people go out there and they can comment on that thread and, of course, vote for what they think might be the next Kickstarter. But yes, and for this, when this podcast comes out, there'll be a thread for this podcast. Love the idea of getting feedback on all of this stuff. Um, I think it'd be amazing if somebody listening to this podcast stood up and said, "I'm going to start that nonprofit." That would be that would be great. I'd love that. Um, I think it would really help to get get us better funded to move forward. It's possible that somebody listening to this podcast could say. If you're ever going to uh, do the thing with the five gardeners, I want to be one of those gardeners. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I think that, uh, that'll help us kind of get started too, because the next, because if we do get the funds, it's like, who's going to be the gardeners? Who are we going to hire to be the gardeners? Um, and of course the terms aren't etched in stone yet, but I think officially they'd be kind of like boots in the boot camp. They'd get a bunk and food and whatnot. And yep. a, a, a little bit of money each month to do this stuff and then a big bonus to get it done. As opposed to like, oh, I was there for this part and then I walked away. And so I, all these things, yeah, reply to that thread. Let's get these conversations going. Yep. And Paul, I'll even throw something in. Here, here's my, my little contribution. If there is one or more people who would like to explore the possibility of the nonprofit, um, I will, um, provide some upfront uh, consultation with them on how to set up that nonprofit in a permaculture compatible way, um, and uh, how to structure things and 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 so forth. And and um, from my personal experience, uh, I certainly don't have the bandwidth to actually take that on myself. But um, I would be willing to spend a little time with those folks up front and help get them organized and moving in a good direction. That would be, thank you so much, sir. That, that is amazing. That is, I, I, I know you and I have talked offline a little bit about strategies, uh, in doing this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. and so, yes, that would, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. All right. Anything else we want to add to this podcast? Mm, I think we've covered a lot. <laughs> if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about the future leadership of permaculture, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. All the time. Hi, this is Mark. Sometimes talking to a friend or family member about permaculture can be met with a blank stare if it's all new to them. A great way to explain some of it can be over a card game using permaculture playing cards, which each have interesting facts with quality illustrations and descriptions. A wide range of people, places, and things, all related to permaculture, can be found on the permaculture playing cards at richsoil.com forward slash cards.